This episode is sponsored by Berkeley Fishing and their Max Scent Plastics. Berkeley Powerbait and Gulp have been around for a long time now and have put tons of fish in the boat, and their Max Scent line is the perfect mix of the best attributes of each. It matches the action and the feel of Powerbait with how supple it is and combines the scent properties you'll find in the Gulp line. A couple personal favorites of Mark Quartz, which you'll hear about in this podcast, are the Max Scent Flatworm and the Flat Nose Minnow. Make sure to check those out along with the entire line by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or stop into one of your favorite Shields locations. And now, let's dive into it. I'm Mark Quartz. I'm Corey Springle. Here at the Shields University, you're joining us on the Shields Outdoor Podcast. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and we are live on location in Chamberlain, South Dakota at Shields Fishing University here, 2022. And with me, I have Mark Quartz and Corey Sprangle. They're going to be talking about some products, and uh, Corey's going to be giving a seminar on some trendy walleye tactics a little bit later for our associates to uh, to pass that information along to people that head up to our stores. And uh, and we're just going to dive into this here. So, Mark, Corey, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, it's a little breezy out here in South mm-hmm. Dakota today, but... Uh, yeah, no, it's good to be here. We always enjoy this time of year. It's it's fun to come talk to all the Shields associates. They're you know they're so energetic about and passionate about the outdoors. It's just fun to talk to people like that. That's what we love to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm good too. And I mean, I love coming out here. I mean, uh, Shields picks a great location for this and a great time of year. I mean, just even to showcase uh, an an avenue like the Missouri River here that has you know great potential for a lot of fish catches. You know, really can help showcase. Uh, and educate uh, the staff on, you know, what right rod and reels, line, bait, you know, all the way down and, and have a successful fishing trip and a bite, you know, at the end of the day the, to kind of tie everything in and, you know, being along with this classroom training. So I, I love coming out here. It's a great time of year and it's ready to get the season going. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you kind of touch on like the versatility of this place, you know, like you can try so many different tactics and there's, you know, it's just, it's kind of a melting pot of different fish species out there too you kind of never know what you're going to bring up like we were we were out in a boat earlier testing out uh you know different electronics i was in a garmin boat looking at the new live scope plus and we were we were just out in the marina since it's wicked windy Mm -hmm. today but um you know we saw like carp down there we saw schools of crappie and saw some walleye down there and then the nice thing about that live scope is like there's enough definition where you can actually like tell what that fish is yep. so it's it's pretty cool yep so um yay Corey, do you want to just dive a little bit into uh what you're going to be speaking about tonight yeah i'll be speaking later tonight on with uh about trendy walleye tactics um with john hoyer and uh, we're going to go through, you know, a few different techniques. And, you know, one of the big ones, which you already touched on, is forward-facing sonar. And, you know, just how that has really changed, um, you know, I guess the efficiency of a lot of us on the water. And uh, there's a lot of techniques that are tied in with that that can really help you 
um, you know, obviously be more efficient, like I'd said, but there's also a lot of things you can learn from forward facing sonar and not just um, uh, using a certain technique, but you can ca change your cadence, you know, mid cast, you know, based off of what a fish is telling you and how they're reacting to what you're doing. And so if it's a lipless uh, bait or if it's some kind of glide bait, um, and I, you know, I love hair jigs a lot this time of year. There's just so much you can learn about fishing, you know, with that real-time data that's coming through on that sonar. And so, you know, that's a little bit what we're going to talk about on one side of the topic. And, you know, like I said, it, it's just, it doesn't matter if it was five years ago or if it's right now. I mean, snap jigging some type of bait, it doesn't matter if it's just a jig in a plastic or if it's a glide bait. Um, you know, snap jigging is still a fish triggering, um, you know, tool that we have. And uh, there's so many little different, um, you know, variations that you can use that still today are, you know, one of the top go-tos. Let's face it. I mean, if you can trigger a fish to bite on its natural instinct, you can get that fish to bite more times than not instead of just holding some in front of its face. So that's a little bit what we'll talk about in the seminar tonight. And uh, just looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you kind of bring up an interesting topic about, you know, maybe stuff that's been around a while that's kind of resurfacing. Like a couple that come to my mind are, you know, hair jigs and blade baits, you know, they're, they got quite a resurgence coming on these days. Yep. And blade baits is in that, in that topic as well. And oh, not, spoiler. Alert, <laughs> <huh? laughs> I really like blade baits a lot when the water's cool. Um, you know, for one, most of the time they're silent. And so it's just, uh, you know, you know, blade baits when the water is cool and at 45 degrees or less or 50 degrees or less, it's just a little more subdue, you know, sound. It seems like after, especially walleye spawn, then you can get super annoying and super erratic. And a lot of times, you know, cause they're on their feeding mode now, they just excel, just expelled all that energy for spawn. And then it's just that where those rattles uh, really, you know, I guess get them irritated where they come react to something. But I feel like a lot of times pre-spawn a blade bait can outfish a, a noisy lipless bait a lot of days. Um, especially when they're not in that mood to, to chase or feed anything. And that's where I like, you know, in, in my, my situation, I really like in that cold water, like a, a Berkeley vibrato, Issey means Sabeel's line, a vibrato takes very little movement to get that bait to imply action and, you know, vibrate on its way up. And that's really key in cold water because you're not necessarily trying to move the bait that far. Mm -hmm. You want to make it easy for them and keep it, keep it close to them where they don't have to chase a lot, especially pre-spawn. They don't want to chase their focus on spawning, not eating. But if you give them an opportunity, they're going to take it. And so uh, to me, blade baits are one of those key baits, especially in the spring. Okay. Yeah. And so, so when it comes in term of like, cadence and action are with those blade baits are you basically just trying to get it to move the way it should with as little effort as possible exactly and that's why i said like that vibrato to me because every blade bait is different some of them you almost take like a foot of rod movement or a foot of line movement to get that bait to initiate its action and so especially the heavier you go the more movement generally it takes to get that blade vibrating where the vibrato is so thin um, with just a little bit of weight there on the bottom where it just immediately undulates really quick. And so I can, you know, do a six to eight inch movement with my rod just enough to lift that bait off the bottom and it immediately has action where I can keep it close and fish it slow. Main thing with the blade bait is you really want to make sure when you go to move that bait off a of bottom that you don't give that bait any slack. You want to keep your rod, you know, high and up, if not slowly moving it, because you don't want that bait instantly plummeting right back down the bottom. You want to stall that bait out and give it a little bit of a chance for that fish to keep up with it 
to get that bite before it returns the bottom. It's not like in the summer where fall rate is a more of a trigger, you know, fishing fast, you know, glide baits fall really fast and that's a trigger for them. They get it before it hits bottom in the spring. You need to give them a chance and really stall it out. And so that's one thing that's really important to fishing blade baits because they are so thin, have very little resistance on the fall. So you need to help slow that fall rate. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, one other old school tactic I want to bring up and it kind of comes back to, to the Detroit river and, and your guys fishing tournament there. Um, that's the, the whole hand lining thing. I hadn't really heard of that and it seems, you know, it's, it's been around for ages, but, um, you know, I guess it proved to be a little bit successful for you, Corey. Can you just touch on like what you, what exactly that is? Uh, you know, hand lining is, is one of the things and Mark actually, he does it the other version, um, pole lining where you're actually using a rod, but hand lining, basically you have, a um, you know, a pretty large reel that has a, a spring in it where basically when you pull the line out and let it go back in and immediately retrieves it for you, but you literally have a wire cable in your hand that goes down to basically anywhere from a pound and a quarter to upwards of a two pound lead weight on the bottom. And this technique really excels in, in fast current because what you can do is keep your baits down there really easy. And more times than not, you're using some sort of stick bait, shallow diving bait. So you have this weight that's down there on the bottom. And then the shank of that above that weight has usually used swivels every six inches or so, um, maybe probably five, six feet up that shank. So that way you can adjust your basically height of your, of your line coming off of there for the crankbait that you're using. And a lot of hand lining comes down to line angle, right? Like the steeper the line angle is, the flatter it is, the more all those leads are going to be closer to bottom. And so those baits are going to get deeper. And so, you know, that is that line angle is dictated by one speed, but also the current that you're in, you know, the faster the current immediately, you know, it's going to have a lot more blowback than it's going to be in those slacker water areas. So it's not like hand lining, you're necessarily just focusing on, all right, I, I want to go 0.7 to 0.9 miles an hour. I mean, you might be in, in one area where, you know, 0 0.7, 0 0.9 gives you a 45 degree line angle on your wire. And then the next area you need to go to, you know, one, two, one, three, because it's a lot more slack to keep that 45 degree line angle where your baits are relatively running where you want them. You won't want them on the bottom dragging, obviously, but you want to keep them just off. So on that shank, you have two leads coming off. Generally, the leads are doubled. Um, a 10 and a 10 foot on the bottom, the shorter one on the bottom, and then say a 20 foot, you know, it might be 15 and 30 if the water is clear, but you have these two lines that come off there basically where you can always keep those baits in current right near the bottom, you know, at all times you can, you can be in 15 feet of water, slide out to 25 and just keep those baits and kind of go back and forth and just keep them right near the bottom. It excels a lot of times when the water's dirty, when it isn't as clear, just put that bait in front of a fish's mouth or enough times in front of there. And a lot of times it can get you a bite. Okay. Interesting. I, I got two questions on that. So yep. the first one is, um, are, are you using like live scope to determine that proper angle or is there a different way you go about doing it? No, it's all just visually looking at your line or the wire to know okay. what you're, I mean, just simply. I suppose, I mean, that. that the angle above the water is going to be the same as below. Yep. So, okay. That, that makes sense. And then, um, second one, like, is this something that you just use in current or can this be applicable to like lake situations too? I mean, it could be, um, you know, but you're going to be going a lot faster. I went, then again, like honestly, like anything can be used in other places, but it really shines in current. Okay. And so like Mississippi river, it's used a lot. Detroit river is kind of where it originated from. 
Um, you know, Mar I know Mark has done it on Lake Winnebago. He had a really good finish national ITER event a few years ago, pole lining on Lake Winnebago and the river there uh, at the mouth of the river. And when I won NWT on Red Wing, uh, three quarters of my fish came hand lining as well in 2013. And so Bill Shimoda has really taught me a lot about hand lining and that's who I grew up fishing with. And so it's one of those, it's, it's an art form. Like there's a lot going on. It's controlled mm -hmm. chaos because you not only when you get a fish on, so you have to, re, you know, hand lining, you retrieve the wire, basically like your tip up fishing, bringing it up. All right, now here comes your shanks, your shank with your line coming off it. Now I need to figure out, is it the top one or is it the bottom one that has the fish? And then as soon as I figure out which one it is, I got to grab that line. If it's the top one with 20 feet, now I got to hand over hand with this weight that's dangling around, usually tied around your cleat or rod holder. And now I got the monofilament in my hand. Now I need to hand line this fish in to get it close enough to net it. So like, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, and I like the hand lining versus the pole lining, um, just because to me, like, you know, when you have a pound and a half, pound and a quarter weight and you're using a big, you know, heavy rod to lift that thing up, like to me, it's like more strenuous than just having my hand on a wire over the side of my boat, moving it you know, yeah. up and down to keep, you know, bottom contact. But, you know, Mark does it, uh, you know, I'm sure a little bit different with the pole lining thing, but it's, it's one of those things where it's, it, uh, takes a lot of time. Yeah. It just sounds interesting. And Mark, can you touch on the differences between like the hand lining versus the pole lining? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I have both and I do both, but one of the things I've found with pole lining over time is that I can make sharper cuts, um, in current so a lot of times what triggers that fish i mean we're both moving that bait back and forth so there's a pause and then there's a speed up so what we're doing is we're actually taking those baits and and creating the action i mean you know there's always action there but one of the things i've found over time and like corey said you know you're con you're at control hand lining you know if that fish wants to make a run you're letting that wire run through your hands just like so you're your drag system where I feel like on the pole, I have a little bit of give in that pole. I can also control it with the reel, but I have a little bit of give in that pole. But so a lot of the guys, what they're doing on their kicker motors, putting wire uh, like a ring around their prop. So if they're hand lining, they can make the tight cuts. But if you don't have that ring, you can make tighter cuts with the pole line. So I'm standing in the back of the boat with the pole. And typically, you know, I'm running a 50 pound braid down to that same shank that Corey's talking about with all the swivels and I can get by with a lot less weight. So I'm running, you know, anywhere from 10 ounces to a pound and a quarter, just depending on how heavy a current we're in. Okay. Gotcha. And then what kind of rod do you use? Use like a short trolling rod? Or? Yeah. So I'm using a short trolling rod, musky rod. Um, so it's fairly stout, you know, cause I want to be able to move that, that lead. And I don't want a real long pendulum type deal where I'm fighting that lead out on a seven and a half foot rod. So I've got some custom rods that I use, um, but you know, anything in that six and a half, you know, or shorter type rod works really well. Okay. That makes sense. But yeah, no, so it's, it's just another form of handling, but I mean, it can be used in a lot of situations in any current situation. And it's a very deadly technique. I mean, cause you're keeping those baits anywhere from six inches to eight inches off the bottom, right in that strike zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So cool, new slash old tactic. Mm -hmm. Very um, old tactic. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, you guys are here with Berkeley and, uh, you know, representing a couple other brands too. So let's just, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's new out there, what you guys are going to talk about and like, you, you know, the lures and stuff like that. You know, a lot of it is, uh, 
you know, um, there's obviously every year there's new rods that, you know, come about. And that's the one thing that, you know, I know Shields picks up a lot on is a, a lot of the Fenwick liner rods, which is to me, you know, one of my favorite Fenwick world class has always has been one of my favorite rods now for, you know, seven, eight years, but they redid the Eagle liner of rods, which also has a trolling, uh, set up in there as two couple different trolling rods in there as well, like, uh, telescopic ones. Uh, the HMG has a whole new line as well that's been redone that one's been you know a few years coming on now where it's it hasn't been changed so you know you know really looking forward to that and i actually run you know talking about quartz um with his pull lining rods to me um i run super short um trolling rods for planer boards it's you know i don't run a a seven and a half to eight and a half foot rod i actually run a seven foot um hmg rod that's one of the rods that i bought it's just a basic casting rod um but what i like about having a short trolling rod for planer boards is one like it's just not, you're, you're not always reaching for the rod tip to put on a planer board. Like if it's seven and a half or eight and a half foot, you're trying to find a spot in, the, in your boat to stick the butt so you can get to the rod tip to grab the line, to put the planer board on. And another thing with shorter rods, when it comes to fighting a fish or netting a fish next to the boat, you know, I can be a lot closer to the edge of the boat versus a guy that has an eight and a half foot rod that either has to back up where you necessarily can't see what's going on with the fish where a seven and a half foot rod, I can stand right over the side. I can see what's going on. I mean, you know, the drag in your reel is doing most of the work. Right. And so I can see what's going on at the same time, just be more, have more control and more maneuverability when that fish is to the side of the boat. And so that HMG has always been one of my go-to trolling rods over the years, but it's not technically a trolling rod. It's a casting rod. But um, to me, that's just one thing, I guess I do different, but, and yeah. Corey tried to talk me into running that rod, mm-hmm. and I tried it, and it's just not for me. Um, so, and, and that's one of the cool things, like when we're at these universities, the people actually get a touch, feel, use, and see how those rods react. So, I mean, everybody has their own personal preference when it comes to things. So don't just, you know, when, when people say, well, you need this rod for doing this, you really don't. It's the rod that feels right for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm running the Eagle 8.6 medium, and that's just the right rod for me. I feel like I have a little bit more given that rod. It's up in the air. I'm not getting any waves going over my line, pulling my boards, jumping my boards, things like that. So it's just personal preference. So, I mean, we all run a lot of the same equipment. It just might be a different length or action that we like for doing that same technique. Yeah. I mean, it, it like you said, it really comes down to preference. I mean, don't use a eight foot heavy action rod for little jigs and crappie fishing, mm-hmm. but you know, like find what works best for you, find what's most comfortable. And, uh, you know, once you pick up a rod and you know, you just get that feeling, it's like, this feels right. This is the one I want. So, yeah. and we got a go bunch of it. new baits here. This not new baits, but, um, some new colors in our, our definitely our champ swimmer. We came out with a bunch of new colors that are definitely based towards walleye. So guys are going to get a chance to fish those. Um, we've got max scent here, so there's a lot of really cool things. And we actually had the line tester out yesterday and we were teaching people how to tie knots and, and different knots and they could test their knot versus the trilene knot and things like that. And it was really interesting to see how many people, you know, would go, oh man, my knot isn't the strongest. Maybe I should try this one. And so that's a lot of fun to watch people tie knots. And we were using 10 pound XT and uh, the break, I think the winner had just about 20 pounds of break strength. So that tells you how strong 10-pound XT is. Yeah, that's impressive. And I, I have to admit I fall into that category of being stuck in my ways when it comes to knots. It's I need to learn some new ones because, you know, like I just got started into bass fishing. And, you know, like with the bass, I'd start running, you know, like 
braid to floral on stuff. And I never really did that a whole lot before. And I have more than once chucked out like a chatter bait. And then all of a sudden I didn't get it back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I need to, I need to revise my knot strategy. And even I, I mean, I learned something yesterday. I mean, you know, I tied up a couple different leader to mainline type knots and, and I figured out which one was strongest. So it's really interesting when you mess around. And, and I mean, that's the cool thing about this business. We all push each other to get better every day. And, you know, we try different things and he may have something that I like and he, I have something that he likes. So, we do different things and it's a lot of fun just to hang around with people that are so passionate about the outdoors. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So and, you, and, oh. and competitive, yeah. <laughs> even at the not yeah. tying machine. <laughs> yeah. I'd say that there's a little friendly competition at this table, isn't there? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, love it. So you, you talked a little bit about uh, Berkeley max sense. Can you touch a little bit more on that? I'm, I'm curious about those baits. I haven't fished with any of them yet. I'll tell you what, max scent came out. What are we going on four years probably now, yeah, Corey? Probably. And it's absolutely just really um, opened a lot of people's eyes. So Berkeley has multiple different scent impregnated baits. So when we start out, you know, everybody knows Gulp. I mean, Gulp's been around forever. Great product. We use it all the time. Um, we've actually got power bait. Um, and then the Max scent came out here, like I said, four years ago. And we've got, we added a bunch of new shapes this year. Um, we've got everything from micro tubes to tubes. Um, the flatworm has been uh, absolute smallmouth staple. It's taken the industry head over heels. I mean, like every tournament, I think major tournament that's been one smallmouth fishing's probably been one on the flatworm here in the last three years. So, um, but there's a lot of cool shapes in that. Um, like I said, the champ swimmer, what other new ones do we have sitting down there? So one thing in the champ swimmer line too, is we also added, uh, some more length baits. Um, there's a, you know, the original champ swimmer just had the one size and the 4.6. And now we have a three inch, a small little three inch guy, which actually I used a lot on otter tail last year when we were there in Minnesota. And then we also have a three point, um, six inch size as well. So it's kind of that in between size, another great walleye size, but you know, to me, when it comes down to the plastic, especially, you know, with Maxent, um, you know, with going through the power bait line, um, basically is a, a plastic, plastic bait with salts, minerals, and our fish attractants in it. But power bait basically needs to be, t- you know, basically tasted. It has to be in a fish's mouth um, in order for them to actually taste something. And so, you know, gulp has always been a staple, especially in walleye fishing um, and even in cold water to me. Um, because in all essence, all gulp is, is a sponge. It absorbs anything it comes in contact with. So when it's in its juice, obviously it's fully contained in that. When it goes in the water, it's a water soluble um, scent that's in there. And so it absorbs the water that's in the water. But the biggest downfall, like I said, is it's a sponge. So generally it doesn't have a lot of action because it's stiffer. And anyone that's used gulp enough times knows what happens when it sits on your jig for, you know, eight hours, it gets hard and it's hard to get off. Right. Yeah. And so Maxent is kind of that in between one. Maxent is a material that doesn't dry out and it's out in a wall, always stay soft, but it also is more limber than gulp is as well. And so it has that same water-based scent that disperses into the water very easily. And so it's kind of that, you know, in between, um, you have the action like you do in power baits. Um, but then you also have the more of the scent dispersion that you have in gulp, but with more action. So, uh, like Mark had said, smallmouth fishing, smallmouth absolutely love them, um, especially the flatworm or the flat nose minnow. Um, but walleyes also do as well, um, especially that flat nose minnow. It's a there's something with the scent. Obviously, Berkeley's had it figured out for a while now. 
Um, that max scent scent is deadly on, you know, even though it's not talked about for a lot of walleyes because gulp is still kind of the, you know, the staple on the scent impregnated stuff. Um, and so max scent is definitely one that shouldn't be overlooked for a walleye site as well. Okay. And then the, like what style of the max scent do you like to use for the walleye? So it would be, there's a couple different styles there that me and Corey use a lot. And me and Corey were actually doing an outdoor writers conference last fall. And I mean, I got into drop shot and the walleyes and it was absolutely amazing how that max scent, but either the flatworm or the flat nose minnow are the two shapes and sizes that really, really work good. Um, they just imitate a lot of different things in the water column. Yeah, so the flatworm always used to be out in just one size, but now there's a bigger 4.6 inch size as well, so a lot bigger, uh, more length than the than the smaller three inch version that's been out. Um, so yeah, between the two, I would pick um, on the walleye side a flatworm or you know a, a flat nose minnow. Those two, I mean, a flat nose minnow is good on a jig. Um, so is the flatworm at times, but there's a lot of things, you know, like Mark had said, drop shutting for walleyes is going to be another technique that eventually is going to be one of those trendy walleye tactics that everyone mm -hmm. will talk about. And so uh, um, it's just one of those things where, like I said, that max scent is a, is a player year-round, not just in cold water. Um, you know, we're dealing with a lot more pressured fish these days and a lot of bodies of water. I mean, the technologies are getting better. Um, you know, there's more people on the water with everything that's been going on. And so just having that extra added, you know, player in your court with that scent, it can be a big, a lot of days. Mm -hmm. And the difference between the two um, is there's a lot of colors that we can't get in the flatworm that we can get in the max scent uh, flat nose minnow. So that's, you know, some of the reasons why we might switch back and forth between those two baits. But as we were talking about forward facing sonar earlier, Drop shot's another one that works great for forward-facing sonar because I can keep that bait right in the strike zone at all times. So if I spot a fish, I can throw the drop shot right over to it and basically keep that bait right in front of that fish's nose. Okay. And then for, for people that don't know what drop shotting is, can you just quickly explain that? Yeah, it's pretty simple. It's, it's really what you've got is your weight on the bottom. So you'd stand in contact at all times, and I can change that strike zone just by just by moving my rod tip. So if, if that fish is six inches, I can drop my bait down just a little bit or I can raise it up. So I can adjust um, by where I put my hook on my line, how far it is off the bottom. Okay, gotcha. So, so basically it's like you got your line and then you tie your hook and then you still have more line and then you tie your weight. Absolutely, yep. Okay. And then, so like, say you, say you decide you want to adjust that. How do you do that? Do you have to like cut and retie? Yeah, you basically have to cut and retie, but there's, you know, if you tie your hook up far enough, you can actually let that bait slowly fall through the water column and then lift it back up and let it slowly fall. So that weight's not moving. All you're doing is basically moving that, that bait. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And then, so like, do you use a variety of different hooks or can you for drop shot or do you? You can. So, you know, depending on what I'm doing and, and I use it a lot during the summer, um, fishing around weed edges and stuff like that. Um, and so I might use a worm hook where I'm Texas rigging that bait where that hook's not exposed. So I'm mm -hmm. hiding that hook in the bait. Now, if I'm using a flat nose minnow, I might have an exposed hook. Um, so I'm just going to have a, you know, just a, a good fusion 19, um, walleye hook, bait holder hook. So yeah, there's a couple different, um, you know, styles you can use just depending on where you're at. You know, if you're open water, obviously you can get by with the exposed hook. And if you're fishing around structure, I'd go with a, you know, a hook hidden in the bait. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So, all right. Great information. You know, got some good tips in there. Got some, uh, 
got some new product reviews. So what's, uh, what's next for you guys? Uh, we're get, we're here for, um, the rest of the week with shields. And then we're going to start practicing on Friday for the next national walleye tour event here in Chamberlain, South Dakota. We were here last year. It's such a great fishery. I mean, this is the one place we came to last year. And I think everybody had a limit, didn't they? Yeah, I think it was pretty close to that. Something like I mean, that. 133 boats had limits. So the fishing's great. Um, it's kind of setting up real similar. Um, I haven't been on the water since I got out here, but it's kind of setting up similar to last year. I'd say, you know, the water, it was looking like it was going to be a good early spring and, and it's kind of gone the opposite direction again. So, but it looks like we have some warmer water or warmer weather coming later in the week. And, um, I'm just excited to get out there and start fishing again. You know, we started out in Detroit and I mean, me and Corey, you know, Corey ended up with two fish during the tournament. I ended up with a fish, but it was just a struggle out there. The water temperatures were anywhere from 34 to 36 degrees and the fish just weren't real active. So it's going to be fun to come to a place where you can actually set the hook a bunch while we're here. So it's always, it comes down here to finding those overs and that's going to be what it comes down to this year again, you know, either finding those pre-spawn fish or finding those overs that make that huge difference. Mm -hmm. What sort of weight do you think it's going to take to win this one? You know, last year, I, I don't know, what Chase have? 17, uh, 18 pounds. Yeah, 17, 18 pounds. So, yeah. I mean, you know, if if to be comfortable, you're going to have to have that 16 to 18 pounds each day and, you know, probably 17 on average. But, um, you know, and that to get that, it it's not easy. I mean, you need to have a couple good overs with nice slots to go with. So um, you're going to see this river get covered from top to bottom, dam to dam, and, um, we're going to try to put together and see what we come up with. Yeah, All right. Big thing this time of year, it doesn't matter what system, but especially a river system as massive as the Missouri River, there's a, those fish travel a lot. I mean, you know, they could be spawning, you know, the last couple of days and they could be 20 miles down the river, you know, tomorrow. And so, like, there's so much movement that happens this time of year in cold water with spawning uh, fish returning to, you know, where they're maybe feeding at or where the food source is at. And so, there's so much changing day to day uh, this time of year. Obviously, water temperatures are constantly changing as well. So um, it's it's not necessarily about just you know figuring out a spot or location. I mean, it's keeping up with water color, water temperature, and and things like that in the migration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the crazy thing about fishing now is like there's so much variability and change. Like a pattern you learn one day can be, you know, totally off in about three days. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. and, and, and I, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't even look. I know the other day when I was out turkey hunting that the moon was up. So I think we're right around that full moon too. So we got a lot of things that are going to change. And um, obviously, you know, it's blowing bad today and the river looks pretty dirty. So um, there again, when you're in the Dakotas, you, like Corey said, you know, clean water is a big deal or finding that right colored water, you know, not super clean, not super dirty, but finding where you can actually get that presentation down. And as Corey was saying, like the vibrato and things like that, those are baits that you can, you know, keep in front of a fish's face and, and keep it right there. So there's going to be a lot of different techniques. Last year I was casting, you know, champ swimmers and things like that, and that worked for me. So there's a lot of different things that are, are going to come into play this week. And this is always just a great fishery. I mean, it's so fun out here. I just enjoy the Dakotas. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I look forward to following along with you guys and seeing, seeing how you're doing. So, you know, to end this out, I'd like to, you know, be a little bit lighter and more entertaining. So <laughs> I'd like to hear both of your 
stories of the biggest fish you've ever caught. So I'm not going to pigeonhole it to a certain species. So the best story of the biggest fish you've ever caught. We'll start with you, Mark. Yeah, I can. I mean, I've got a couple different, I mean, a lot of different species because I spend quite a bit of time in the winter down in Florida. But um, so I've got a marlin, um, caught some big tarpon. Uh, my wife actually had a giant bull shark this year that was probably three, 400 pounds. So, um, you know, I've, but like walleyes, um, this time of year was up in Red Wing, Minnesota on the Mississippi river, um, pitched into a foot and a half of water and rolled over a 13, eight. So that's my biggest walleye. Ooh, that's a dandy. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when you catch it that shallow and it's pitching jigs, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, that was definitely one of my highlights. So could you, like you said, it's in a foot and a half. Of yeah. Water. Dirty water. Um, you know, it's springtime, dirty runoff water. Could you see it right no, when it struck? It, Pretty much when I set the hook, I seen the tail come out of the water. Oh, and you know, and, and like, that's, that's a, lot. a heck of a tail right And there. that's a lot of what you see here. You know, I mean, this time of year here, you can be pitching in that foot of water and you'll actually see the movement or the V coming to your jig, pitching up to these shallow banks where these fish are spawning. And the other thing that's really neat here is when you get a, a hook a female or hook a fish, a lot of times there's two, three that come up with them because they're in such a mood right now spawning. Mm -hmm. that these fish follow each other. So there's a lot of times you'll dip down to net the fish you got on and there might be an extra one or two in the net. Mm -hmm. That's pretty wild. So when you, when you were like midway through fighting that fish, did you know it was that big? No, my actually a good friend of mine um, was with me and he actually thought I hooked a carp because you've seen the tail come up, it's dirty water, you know, and it's just the backside of the walleye tail. So he actually thought it was a carp, so he didn't even get the net. I ended up netting it myself and setting mm -hmm. up the boat, and he turned around, he's like, oh, mm -hmm. that's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So is that one going on the wall, replica mount? Uh, just yeah, that one is, picture that, no, that one was on the wall. This was probably 10 years ago, and, you know, oh, okay. and if I had to do it all over again, I would have definitely done a replica. I mean, it was just a prehistoric fish, you know, so... Um, but yeah, now the replicas have gotten so much better. And back then replicas weren't near what they are now today. And, and it's hard to find, you know, when you talk about a fish that's 13, eight, it's really hard to get a replica made of a fish like that. Yeah, you know, they, they just don't have a mold. They don't have a lot of molds no. like that. And I mean, it was only, a, it was like 30 and a quarter inches, but I mean, just the girth on it, the mass, it was pretty It's pretty awesome. On the oh, wall. only 30 and a quarter <laughs> inches. <laughs> oh, love it. All right, Corey, how about you? Um, I guess one of the more exciting ones would have been um, my biggest smallmouth that I caught. It was actually during a tournament on Surgeon Bay there for the Surgeon Bay Bass Open. And um, it was on day two. It was one of those days where I think we we're in like, you know, the top three or so after day one. And so we had to shot, but we we're kind of struggling that day. Um, just the fish that the areas that we had caught the fish in the previous day to, to weigh our whatever it was, 25, 26 pounds, um, just weren't there anymore. So it was kind of search mode. Um, and I had a couple three pounders, three and a half pounders still in the, in the box yet that we, that needed to be upgraded if we wanted the shot. Right. And so a lot of things were changing that day, a big cold front, north, northwest winds. And I'm like, I just, I told my partner at the time, I said, we just need to make sure we check the back of this one bay before we go in. And uh, because if any fish pulled in because of the wind that's pounding in there, like we need to be there. And so like the last 20 minutes or so come around that corner on the way back in and seen like 20 boats in there. And I'm like, oh no, like we missed it. Like those dudes are catching them. And, and so roll back there and I'm like, oh my God, like none of them are in this one little sand corner that comes up in here. And so I was using a Berkeley cutter 
And I think it was on like my second or third cast or so, way out on a cast, cause it was blowing like 20, 25 miles an hour or so. And uh, second or third cast um, in there and probably like my second or third rip of that jerk bait, whatever, at fish hits it and it immediately comes up and I'm like, oh my God, like it's way out there, but it looked, it was a big black one. Like I knew right away it was, it was what we're looking for. And that fish came in, long story, like it came up where my partner almost netted it the first time and I seen it was hooked really good and he goes and net, net for it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And he's like scooping them. Fish went under the boat. Now the boat's kind of drifting over the fish and fish comes up. He nets it. It was a seven pound, four ouncer with like, you know, 15 minutes to go in the tournament that just boosted our weight from probably finishing in the middle of check range 25th to we actually ended up winning that tournament. And so it was one of those things where uh, my biggest smallmouth was during a tournament. And it was one of those cool ones. I love catching them on jerk baits. They're just, there's nothing better when they blow a bunch of slack in your line or ball rip the rod out of your hand. So smallmouth fishing to me is really fun. And that springtime surgeon bay stuff is, you know, courts loves as much as I do, whatever. It's just, there's nothing better than, you know, never knowing if you're going to catch a six pound walleye or if it's going to be a six pound, six pound smallmouth or if it's going to be a 10 pound walleye on the next cast. So mm-hmm. it's just a cool place that time of year. That's awesome. That's definitely a place I need to check off the bucket list. I've been wanting to do it for years, but I just, I haven't quite got there yet. I need to just make it happen. Well, this is going to be, I mean, and Corey will definitely agree with my statement here, but this is, you know, this tournament coming up this week is huge for me and Corey both, but I know both of us are thinking Mm -hmm. that next week we're going to be in Sturgeon Bay head to head uh, going after smallmouth. So um, we'll get through this one. We'll go home and recoup for a day or two, and then we'll both head to Sturgeon Bay and start getting ready for a couple tournaments up there. Yeah, actually another uh, big fish story. It's not mine, but last week I was with Chase Parsons, and we were were going fishing together. We are taking some actually Berkeley guys out fishing out of Volcano, and uh, he ended up catching, and I actually filmed him netting it. It was a 14-pound, two-ounce walleye that he had caught that day. 30 and a half inches long or so, but I'd actually was pulling up to um, talk to him, whatever, when he hooked up with it. And so he's fighting this fish. I'm like, well, I'll just film it, whatever. And he's saying how big it was. And um, so I filmed him actually netting it and then the release shot of it. But that thing was a giant, I mean, 14-2 pre-spawn. And so it had a 20 and a half inch girth around. It was just massive fish. And so that's just wild. And yeah, I remember seeing that on social media mm-hmm. and uh, talk about timing. Yeah. <laughs> just coming up. Hey, what's going on? Oh, you know, nothing. Just catching the biggest fish of my life here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was kind of funny because there was a, like a big storm that was coming through with a lot of lightning. And it had been a pretty slow day leading up to that. That morning was pretty calm. Not a lot of fish were caught. Um, and then that afternoon, the wind picked up. And then was, that was about 5 o'clock right before that storm was getting there. Like Green Bay got a ton of hail. But there was a lot of big 10-pound-plus fish that were caught in that hour leading up to that storm. Um, Tommy Kimos was out there. He had 11-pounder just before that. Um, before he actually idled up to chase to look at that fish as well. We're all kind of in the one spot. But he literally... After Kimos talked to Chase and we were, you know, admiring that fish, he went back in his next cast, he caught like another fish that was 10 pounds or more. But then the next cast after that, after he released that fish, like his line literally, when he cast it, never touched the water because electricity in the air. And so it was like talking with a couple of the guides at that time too, like, you know, there was a lot of fish that were caught in that hour and those are those, you know, windows of, you know, and the water's cold like that. They're not necessarily looking to feed, but when you put all that pressure on them with, you know, of a storm system coming through like that, even in, you know, 40 degree water, it makes things happen. So mm-hmm. very interesting. Cool. Glad, glad you got out of there safe too. <laughs> yeah, it was good. We got, 
you know, after seeing some lightning and obviously that static stuff, it's like, yeah, let's get out of here. Yeah, I bet it's about time to put that boat on the left. <laughs> yeah, <you know, you laughs> so, but I can uh, tell you, we're working hard at the lab at Berkeley. I mean, me and Corey spend a lot of time down there. Corey's been down there a lot lately. We got a lot of new things coming for twenty three and twenty four. So stay tuned. There's some really really cool stuff we got cooking. All right, perfect. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and, and you know, best of luck to you guys on the water. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. You just heard our segment with professional walleye anglers, Corey Springle and Mark Quartz on walleye and bass fishing tactics and a few new products to help put more fish in the boat. Make sure to check out the Berkeley Max Scent line of products linked in the description of this podcast and head to your local Shields store or visit shields.com for any of your fishing needs. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.